Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, great to see you and to be with you uh, this morning here at Bethel Covenant Church. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us uh, online uh, today as well. Um, as we start uh, our time this morning, I want to invite you all to stand with us today uh, as we begin our time of worship, our time of uh, celebration, our time of reflecting uh, on the goodness and the faithfulness uh, of our God this morning. So why don't you join me in prayer as we start today? Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, it's not to us, but to your name be the glory, God, for your great love and faithfulness. God, you have been so good and so faithful to us from generation to generation. God, that faithfulness has brought us here in this place uh, this morning. God, we thank you for the mercies that have found us today. God, as we stand uh, together this morning, may we worship with one voice, with one accord. God, may we worship with our hearts and with our words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church, amen. Let's sing together today. The cross before me, the world behind, no turning back, raise the banner high, it's not for us, it's all for you. Let the heavens shake and split the sky, let the people clap their hands and cry, it's not for us, it's all for you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because our hearts unfold before your throne, the only place. For those who know it's not for us, it's all for you. Send your holy fire on this offering. Let our worship burn for the world to see. It's not for us, it's all for you. And it's for you, Lord, and not to us, but to your name. The glory, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory, not to us, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory, and the earth is shaking. The mountain shouting, it's all for you. The waves are crashing, the sun is raging, it's all for you. The universe is spinning and singing, it's all for you. 
All glory and honor and praise. All glory and honor and praise to you. All glory and honor and praise. 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 Sing it out. All glory and honor and praise. All glory and honor. out amazed and overwhelmed you go church you go amazed and overwhelmed at how your mercy fell and changed the heart as hard as mine i tried to turn i tried to turn away deny the hands you gave but you refused to leave my side Wonderful God, wonderful God, wonderful Savior, wonderful love. And who could compare? None can be found. Wonderful Savior, wonderful Undeserving grace, you stole my heart away. Forever I am yours, my King. The beauty of your strength that draws me once again to stand before you now and sing. Wonderful God, wonderful God. Wonderful Savior, wonderful love, and who could compare? None can be found. Wonderful Savior, wonderful God. And you said you'd never leave me, and you never did. You said. And there's a life for me to live. Lord, I want to praise you and say, Wonderful God, wonderful God, wonderful Savior. 
Who can compare? None can be found. Wonderful Savior, wonderful God. We're just so glad to be together in your name today. Guide us as we go about our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated, church. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Bethel Covenant Church as we worship our precious, wonderful, and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And this, the Lord's Day, we celebrate the Lord who's alive, who's living, and he's active in our lives and in our church, so good to be together to worship the Lord, whether in person or online. Well, we have a number of announcements, a couple things. We've got uh, sign-up sheets for various things, and we're going to pass these around. I see these up front, so I think they're meant to pass around. So we'll pass those around. And uh, is there a pen on those? Well, you know, we probably need a pen. There we go. There's one right here. So need need that to sign up. So various sign-ups. A couple of them, we've got uh, the, the carnival on the 13th in partnership with Zion. So if you can be involved with that, the information's on the back of the worship folder. And then next Saturday is our Ruby's Pantry giveaway. So that'll be August 6th, first Saturday of the month, of course. And uh, always great. Need a lot of volunteers, so I encourage you to participate and be part of that. As other... Uh, opportunities avail themselves, including softball this afternoon. Um, Dan Enberg was going to share a little bit about what's going on with the pastoral search committee, so we're going to ask Dan to come and, and share with the congregation. So the uh, committee met last Thursday, and we looked at the latest candidates and John and I had a 45-minute phone conversation with one candidate on Friday night. And this person will be meeting with uh, our committee via Zoom on Wednesday night. We really need you all to be praying as we sort through this. Most of the candidates look good on paper. I'm fairly confident most are good people. However, finding the one God wants for Bethel is only going to happen through prayer. I would challenge all of you to fast for one hour before Wednesday night. Just stop doing what you normally do for an hour. Ask God to touch you, touch Bethel. Thank God for his faithfulness. A good portion of scripture you might want to look at that's really spoke to me is from Ecclesiastes 3. It talks about seasons of change. Perhaps check it out this week. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Yes, keep in prayer the pastoral search committee and their important role that God just raises up just the right person at the right time. Well, John Johnson's going to come and uh, share announcements with the church, our distinguished chairman. He's always looking out for the best interest of everyone here at Bethel Covenant. You've got a whole bunch of the announcements, but stand back up. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's really been a sheer delight for the last six months being with you and getting to know you and being involved in ministry here at Bethel. Uh, there's a lot of good things that God is doing, and I look forward to seeing what God will continue to do in the months and years to come. I'll be in prayer for you guys as well. 
and really appreciate the time that we had together. So thank you for being a faithful church of, of standing strong in the Word of God, in both in, in truth and in love here in Western Wisconsin. Well, it's, it's time for uh, we gather in prayer, and we have a number of things listed here. So uh, if you would uh, join with me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that Christ has opened up the door to heaven so we can go straight through you through our high priest, Jesus, and that we can boldly approach the throne with thanksgiving and in gratitude for all that you have done. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, for the redemption we have in Jesus. Lord, that you have provided for us by your work on the cross. Thank you for your shed blood and for the resurrection and the hope that that gives us, Lord, for today and forever. May Bethel Covenant be a church that stands, continues stands going forward on that truth, Lord. The good news of the gospel, Lord, not only knows it and owns it, but Lord shares it and continues to radiate it to the community as we live in a world that's a hurtling away from your truth into destruction and distress. So Father, may Bethel as a church be a place, Lord, that with the love and grace of Christ is made known Lord, in these coming months and years. And Father, we thank you that this message is propelled in different ways. Lord, we thank you that it goes to Ukraine through Leanne Peterson. Be with her as she shares with those people she works with the good news of Christ and helps the refugees and encourage the church in, in a difficult part of the world and all that's going on. Lord, we pray for the pastoral search committee and we pray for their meeting on Wednesday, that it would be a, a, a rich time of of sharing, interacting, and understanding one another. Lord, and that you would raise up just the right person to be the next pastor here. So fill them with wisdom and encourage their, their work, Lord, we ask. We thank you that Millie's with us and doing better. We continue to pray for her healing and her recovery from her recent surgery. Give her strength. We pray for Ann Leonard as she continues to battle cancer. Lord, we thank you for that pill treatment that she's taking. We ask, Lord, that it would give her healing and strength that she would know your presence lord encourage her and her family lord we pray for continue to pray for mandy um, trisha's sister as she's going through rehab lord may she really come to that place where she looks up to you to get the help she needs and through the program lord she can get clean so we lift her up we pray for also pray for donnie trisha's dad as he's battling cancer we pray for his healing and recovery for his strength going through this. Lord, we pray for Richard Jacobson, Carolyn's uh, brother, as he's had surgery. We ask that he would find healing and strength as well. Lord, for these and, and other requests that are before us today, Lord, we pray that you would hear our prayers. Lord, we need you. We need your work. Lord, we thank you for being a God who listens and a God who cares and a God who does answer. So, Father, we bring these requests before you thanking you that we are forgiven people through Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, please, uh, please stand with us this morning uh, as we continue worshiping, uh, worshiping with our words and with our songs.
light of the world, you stepped down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. And beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Because here I am to worship, and here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to You're my God, you're all 
Here we are to worship, to bow down, to say that you are our God and we are your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated, church. Amen. Thank you, Will and worship team, for leading us. Praise God. How wonderful and glorious he is. Mm. We continue on in our studies in parables this summer looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. As we'll uh, read that for us in just a moment, I want to say thank you and for your continued support of the church and your giving of your tithes and offerings. We, we wouldn't be able to operate without your generous contributions and giving to the Lord. So thank you, whether you give online, put money in the box or mail it in, however you do it, thanks for giving to the work of the Lord. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long ways off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Lord, give us insight to these challenging words and these stories of Jesus. May they shape and guide us to be faithful followers and disciples of you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You ever heard this, the statement, okay, audience, this is Johnny Olson. Who do we have in the uh, contestant? Come on down. The Price is Right. Who watched The Price is Right? Who's watched that? Yeah, just about all of us. You know, this has been on TV for some 50 years. Think about that. It was on TV when I was a kid, so you know it's old. So we used to watch it sometimes in the summer and got a kick out of Bob Barker was a longtime host, now with Drew Carey, filming almost 10,000 episodes. Over 9,000 episodes have been taped. And we're familiar, you know. It's about having an idea how much things cost to see if you've got the price which is right. You know, they go on stage with various pricing games to see what they, could, what they think is right. And, uh, you know, if you think a new refrigerator is you can get one for $700, you're probably not going to do very well on prices right. You have to kind of know what things really cost today to do well. You know, we usually like to buy items if the price is right, don't we? 
you know, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's something we collect and we say, I can't believe the price on that, right? So what do you do? You buy it, and then you put it on the shelf next to your 33 other ones, <laughs> right? Because the price was right. I had to buy it. I can't believe I got it for that price. And then, of course, you have to tell people about it, right? That's exactly right. There's, like they're a force of nature compelling us to do it. The question is, is the price right? Is the price right? But that's not limited just to goods or money. It's also about the greater issues of life. Is the price right in our life? Or is the price right with what we're doing as a nation, with what's going on in Ukraine, with the whole COVID and the pandemic, with the economic situation we find ourselves? Is the price right for how we act and respond and deal with these things? Well, is the price right also is a good question to ask in our own life. Is the price right for what we're paying in our life? Not just on goods and services, but on key issues of life. How do we spend the currency of our life? The currency of your life, that's your time, your monies, your resources, your energies, your talents, your skills. How do you spend the currency of your life? And is the price right for what you spend it on? Jesus is speaking to us about the kingdom. Stories that tell us about his kingdom. He's the king. He's the king who's bringing in God's kingdom. He's inaugurated with his coming. And we are those who are living in his kingdom. Inaugurated, looking forward when it will come in its fullness when he returns. But we are to be those who do kingdom living, who live our lives according to the ways, the means, the principles of our God who saved us and brought us by his grace into his kingdom. How we spend the currency of our life in his kingdom. Jesus is teaching the disciples and us as we read the text here today how we should use our lives in his kingdom. Jesus talking in parables, using these stories to help us understand the heavenly and kingdom principles in worldly ways that we can compare side by side and understand so that we can know better the spiritual truths Jesus is challenging us to consider and live into. In other words, Jesus is asking today, is the price of your, what you're spending, the currency of your life on right in your life today? Well, let's look at a couple things in the text about the price is right. First, we find that Jesus is fascinating. Jesus is fascinating. Luke is describing Jesus' teaching as he's making his way to Jerusalem. Look at verse 25 of this 14th chapter. What does it say? Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, what we have is large crowds are following Jesus. Large crowds are not just showing up occasionally. They're actually following Jesus. Large crowds, masses of people. Because Jesus has something which fascinates them, which intrigues them, which draws their attention. He is attracting large crowds wherever he goes. People all over were coming to hear him teach, to hear him preach, to hear him talk about God. And so his teaching attracted large crowds. It talks about in the text how he spoke with authority as one from God. He didn't just put out vague philosophical ideas. He spoke with authority as from God. And along with that, he demonstrated his truth of his teaching in power. For he, Jesus backed up 
the truth by power that came from no doubt God. Power to heal and release, restore and make whole. Power that proved his message was truly from God. Not just some guy from a funky town with a good storytelling ability and nice hair. Now Jesus is the real deal. And thus he's fascinating to the people, just as he is today. Bringing his message about the kingdom. People need to repent and receive the kingdom. They do this by putting their faith and trust in God for life and everything in life. They are to reorder their lives along the lines of the values and priorities of the kingdom, which play out in not just now, but for all eternity. Thus, Jesus is teaching a truth that no other teacher could speak about in the same way the eternal truth and nature of his teaching. When God reigns visibly, the kingdom values will rule, and we are to be those who live into that already now. Jesus is teaching the people as he travels from place to place. And what we said is large crowds are not only with him, but large crowds. We think of large crowds in one-time appearances, but Jesus has these large crowds connecting with people on an ongoing basis. They wanted to follow him. So you know what the people were doing? They were getting into their Chevy chariots and following after Jesus. And it's why Jesus had to retreat and go into the hills or mountains and try to, or desert and get away for a time. But you know, Jesus, because he's fascinating. You know, a couple years ago in this Newsweek magazine cover, they said following Jesus, but not being part of the church. People are fascinated with Jesus. And so I think it speaks to how many people in our culture and society think today. Well, I'm spiritual. I'm intrigued with Jesus, but the church is full of hypocrites. The church does a lot of stupid stuff, so I don't want anything to do with the church, but I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in spirituality, but not the church. That's a mindset that we see a lot today, a disunity of thought and thinking of what Jesus is speaking that somehow we can take Jesus on our own terms and that we can kind of just pick and choose to his message. Jesus doesn't speak like that, does he? As he speaks a message, he speaks God's truth to the people, what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. Jesus didn't develop a following by watering down his message, did he? By saying the things that were attractive or or what people wanted to hear. Now, Jesus spoke the truth regardless of how people would receive it because the truth was important. This is God's truth for them and for us. And for those who receive it, lives are changed. Well, in our world, being spiritual is big in many circles, but not spirituality as Jesus reveals it, but spiritually, spirituality on our own way, kind of our own menu. In other words, it's kind of like we download a menu and we go, I'll take these things in spirituality. You know, I'll take this thing from Jesus. I'll take this from someone else and someone else. It's, so it's custom-built spirituality. But that's not what Jesus is giving us here. Jesus gives us a specific message, a message that God has entered the world through Jesus, that God's kingdom is among us. But the way that we follow Jesus, be a disciple, is to really what? Follow him completely and fully. Not take a little of this and a little of that, but give our lives fully and completely to Jesus Christ. 
Jesus wants us to have no part in the defective method that too often takes over in our world. Picking and choosing, custom making how we live out our faith. Because spiritually it's valuable on God's terms. Not entertainment, crowd-centered events. It's life lived in his kingdom according to God's eternal values. People are fascinated by Jesus, but often they pick and choose and they're fascinated on their own terms. And they don't realize that there's a price to be paid. A price to be paid to follow Jesus, but a price that gives eternal life and a price that gives us meaning and hope. So Jesus is fascinating to those in the past, fascinating to many today, but Jesus isn't just fascinating. If we really look at the text, we could say Jesus is fanatical. And Jesus is a fanatic. He doesn't say, hey, come to me and I will have warm milk and cookies for you. Jesus is fanatical. Well, we're all familiar with fanatics, and those who live in Wisconsin are certainly familiar with fanatics because, you know, there's something called cheeseheads, right? So, and where does that come from? Well, let's look at what he says in 26 and 27. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is speaking in pretty extreme language here, isn't he? He's what people would say, being fanatical. He's saying that coming to me is a full life commitment. Fanatical. Someone who's extreme or maybe even irrational in their enthusiasm and beliefs, especially in religion and politics. Some say, no, Jesus wasn't like that. But what does he say? He says, yes, come to me. Must hate what? Father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, even their own life to be my disciple. That sounds pretty fanatical, doesn't it? We have fanatical, short for fan, for those who are really into their teams or into food or fitness or whatever it may be. We can be fanatical, you know, just all gone into it, where our whole lives are wrapped up in it. That's what Jesus is saying here for us, that our whole lives need to be wrapped up into our discipleship of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as he speaks to the, largest, the large crowd, he wants them to realize He's not there to tickle their funny bone, to entertain them. He's there with the message of the eternal God. And he brings out the heavy artillery of his teaching. He has no interest in people following him on their own terms. Jesus says, you must follow me on the terms of the eternal Father who made you, who loves you, who cares for you, as laid out in the word of God. And he lays it out, speaking of love and hate. Some even saying this is disturbing or shocking words. The message of you must hate. And what is he saying? Jesus is saying something significant to us. He says, you must love me in comparison to hating others. What, and then he gives these two examples. To kind of flesh it out, he gives these two parables so that we can understand. First, the parable of the building. Building a tower. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, the person, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Who would ever do that? Well, 
this happens more often than we might think. In Indiana, back in the 70s, they started building a Marble Hill nuclear energy facility. And they poured, this was back in the 70s and early 80s, they spent $2.5 million on it. And they didn't even get close to finishing it, and they just mothballed it all. $2.5 billion just wasted, nothing coming out of that. Stopped and abandoned. How about New York City? Maybe some of you have seen St. John's Cathedral. This is the fourth largest Christian church in the world. Started in 1892. And maybe its biggest kind of uh, thing about it, it's not finished. It's never been finished. They've been working on it for over 100 years. Various towers and parts of the church are still undone. At one time, they had scaffolding up around it for 20 years. Money's often in short supply for such a grand vision. Well, here's one. The Woodchester Mansion in England. That looks pretty nice, huh? Great old English castle. You know what about, what's funny about that? They never did anything inside. It's an empty shell. And so it's never been lived in. It's never been used. They built the outside, but they never built the inside. It's just an open space. Never completed, never lived in. This is what Jesus is speaking about. He's speaking about, do we count the cost? In all these cases, people had these visions, these ideas, but they didn't count the cost of what it would cost to carry their vision to completion, to spend the money to, use it, to build it so it can be used. Jesus says, we must be those who sit down and count the cost of discipleship. Consider the cost, consider the implications, consider the future so that we understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, of what that means for us. Well, the second parable is about kings and war, asking if the price was right. Consider the situation the king finds himself in 31 and 32 of the 14th chapter. And what we have here is Jesus talking about two kings. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In other words, the king will consider the cost, consider the situation. You have an army of 10,000, great. But if you've got a bigger nation with better technology, with better weapons and more people, Oh, that doesn't look like a winning proposition for me as king. I'm going to send a delegation and, and try to get peace because I'm going to lose this war. He's counting the costs and trying to make decisions based on what would happen because of the size of the armies. Sit down, carefully plan and consider how much money, how many resources you have, and what is going to take place. Jesus uses these twin parables of the building and of the king's to about counting the costs for considering how we live our lives. Do we count the cost of life, of the things in life? Jesus expects us to count the cost of following him, understanding what discipleship is and what the demands are before you, that we are those who are even willing to hate for the sake of following Jesus. What does that mean? Now, Jesus isn't literally telling us that we need to hate others. In the, in the very Gospel of Luke, we see before Jesus instructs us to love others and love God, love others as ourselves. What he is doing, he's using this comparative 
that we are to love God so much in relationship, it's like comparative hate for others. It isn't literally hating, it's a comparative. It's hyperbole. Jesus is using these figures of speech because we are not to be those who, yeah, God's here, I'm here, others are here. No, God is up there. All other things are way down here. God is the first and foremost. Everything falls way below that. So it's not some of God and some of these other things. It's God, our love for God is first, and then all of life is to be shaped out of that. And so when he says to hate our own lives, Jesus is speaking of how he lived among us. Jesus entered the world to live and what? To die. He hated his life so that he would be the sacrifice, the one who shed his blood so that we could be redeemed. That's what he's speaking of. And he lived that way. He didn't literally hate himself. In comparative of, of life, it looks like this. So he said, what, that's my life is, I'm willing to give it. I hate my life to be a sacrifice so that I can bring redemption to those who look to me. That's what he's speaking of. And that's what he's calling us to do. It's to love God way more than our own life, than our families, than our work, than our resources, than all we have. We love God far beyond all of that. This is what Jesus is trying to help us see. And then to count the cost for life, to determine if the price is right. In the same way, verse 33 says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying is we count the cost. To be his disciple, we must yield our lives, surrender our lives, and bow before God and say, all I am and all I have is yours. I submit them all to you, to, to your use, to your way, in your kingdom's work for your glory. That's submitting ourselves. That's what he says, giving up everything we have. We put it under the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to guide and lead our lives and who we are and what we do. That is what he's saying, that we must give it up for the kingdom of God. It's not saying, I'm going to follow God, but I'm going to hold on to these four things over here. Now, now, God, you can't touch this. You can't touch these things. Nope, that's off limits. You can be over this. You can be Lord over these things, but not over that. Jesus says that's not how it works. Faith is fully, completely entrusting our lives to Jesus in all things. That's the kingdom life. And as we do this, we count the cost, the cost of following Jesus. We say, boy, that's a lot. That's a lot. We've given up a lot. But what it is, we find that Jesus is worth following. You say, but I give up everything to follow Christ, but what do we receive in return for following the one who loves us, who cares for us, who knows what we need in life, that we are to be followers of Jesus Christ. We find Jesus is worth following. Verse 33, the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So he uses that in verse 26, 27, and 33. If we don't do these things, we can't be his disciple. In other words, if we aren't those who submit ourselves to God and entrust our lives to him as our Lord and God over us, we are not his disciple. Do you see how in this we can't be people, we can't be a church that picks and chooses what it means to be a disciple? 
We can't say, well, you know, our current culture says these A, B, C are okay, so we're going to take that off the shelf and put it here. And the Bible has these things, loving others, I like that, so I'll put that together. Here's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says that is not true discipleship. True discipleship is following God and him alone in completeness. He calls us and says, that's what it means to be my disciple. But we find out that Jesus is worth following. He's worth following because Jesus sees far beyond the here and now, the immediate. He sees our immediate day, but he also sees our situation and the future. And what he sees, he sees the eternal kingdom of God, which is forever, which is far greater and enduring than anything we know here on earth. And that the entrance is giving our lives and submitting our lives to him by faith. But then we receive what? We receive the eternity of God's glory, of his blessing, of his kingdom forever and ever. In other words, what we receive is far greater than what we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus sees the future. In the light of this, he calls us to be his disciples, to come and follow him. Just as Jesus, he gave his life for the glory that was before him. We are to be those who submit our lives before God to be his disciple and then receive the eternal blessings that God has for everyone who follows him. For what happens in life? For those who have talents, abilities, maybe resources, does it, do those go with us? Or do we leave them here on earth? We can't bring anything with us. Everything we have, relationships on earth, will end. What we have, whether it's great or small, will be left behind. And Jesus, knowing this, says there's something more, there's something greater. There's an eternal component of life for those who trust in me. And the entrance is giving of your life to Jesus for life here on earth. And then we receive what God has for us. In other words, we hate our own life like Jesus hated his. We give our life, yield it to him to receive the eternal blessings of God for all eternity and receive his presence with us here and now. This is what Jesus is using. And these stories of the building, the stories of the, the kings, help us see that we need to be those who count the cost. To not be short-sighted like the king who's got 10,000 says, I've got 10,000 men, I'm going to go attack. And not realize that there's other factors that, that may cause you to lose your life and lose your kingdom. Or to start saying, I've got this pile of, of resources, I'm going to build this great thing. But realize that will only get you halfway there. No, we need to count the cost. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to realize that we count the cost so that we realize that in giving our lives, we receive something much more. And that helps us to be the disciples that Jesus calls us to be. How do you live and how do I live? Do we live with the kingdom of God's vision in sight? That eternal kingdom. If we do, we will be those real disciples. How do you live? How do I are we true disciples of Jesus Christ or are we disciples in name only? Calling ourselves a Christian, coming to church alone, good as that may be, doesn't make us real Christians. What makes us real Christians, disciples of Jesus, is by faith submitting our lives fully and completely to him and then living that out here as he leads us. 
you know, in that show, The Price is Right. They're, in their uh, 50 years of taping, there's only one time, one time, where in the final grand showcase, somebody got it right. And what happened is Terry Kness made the game show history by guessing the exact amount of the showcase of all kinds of different items, what the price was, of $23,743. Well, they were so shocked that he guessed right, they stopped the taping to think, you must have cheated, you must have done something wrong. But they explained to them, they watched the show all the time, they, they learned what things cost, and they put it together and got it right. In other words, they had the price right. Jesus is calling you and me to be his disciples. He's calling us to be disciples. To what? Giving up what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. Because we gain the eternity of God that can never be lost. We count the cost of discipleship because the price is right. So that we are the real disciples of Jesus Christ. We give everything to follow Jesus because we receive what we could never get anywhere else. Following Jesus is the end of self-centeredness. Following Jesus is the end of the world's scale of values. Following Jesus is a new loyalty. It's counting the cost of our life. Counting the cost of our life so that we can live in a way that benefits the world and others and ourselves for all eternity. And when we realize that, giving of ourselves to God, the price is right. Will you join me in committing yourself to living as a disciple of Jesus who loves him far beyond everything else and gives of everything so that we can be children of his kingdom for now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you that following you, the price is right. May we be those who count the cost and realize only you hold the keys to eternal life and to our future blessing. So, Father, receive our lives as sacrifices, as disciples for living for you. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with us as you're able uh, as we close our time with our closing thought this morning. i
Oh, Lord God, we ask that we would be a people that live life surrendered to you so that your glory and your kingdom can shine through us for the glory of your name and the blessing of those who hear. So, Lord, send us forth that we are people who live surrendered lives to Jesus Christ. And, Lord, bless our time as we share in food and, and fun together. Lord, we ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.